When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, welcome back to the podcast. Well, in my ongoing commitment to parents to bring you the best of the best, (laughs) I have sought out and I'm so excited to bring you today, Michelle Borba. Let me just share with you some of her accomplishments. So uh, if you don't already know of her, which I know most of you do, but she's an internationally renowned educator. She's an award-winning author and a parenting child and bullying bullying expert recognized for her solution-based strategies to strengthen children's empathy, character, and to reduce bullying. She's an NBC contributor. She's appeared on many shows, including 150 appearances on the Today Show, Dr. Phil, Dateline, The View, CNN. She's got 24 books to her accomplishment list, and those have been uh, translated into 19 languages, including the one that we're going to talk about today, Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. And we're going to talk at the end of the podcast about her next release coming out called Thrivers, The Surprising Reason Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Shine. She offers realistic research-based evidence called from a career of working with over a million parents and educators worldwide. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Oh, Allison, I've been looking so forward to this. Thank you so much. I just oh. adore you and I adore your work. This is too fun. Well, it's it's a mutual love fest and you are the highlight of my week and I'm trying to like call down the number of things that we could talk about because there's so many. But uh, I really think it's an important time to talk about uh, Unselfie, what an important contribution to, to parents. But I wanted to start with actually having parents understand what was the impetus and and what was going on for you in terms of your oh. world travels that was the impetus for putting this out to the world? 
I think it was like this, just a collision of forces that hit me that said, you've got to write this book, or at least you've got to figure out more about empathy. It actually started, Allison, when I was doing a lot of international work and I was sitting, uh, I had volunteered to be a goodwill ambassador for just poverty level kids across the world. And I was in Rwanda. And there was my moment of sitting there talking to kids who's, you know, everybody had been slaughtered with that genocide. But at the same week, I flew from Rwanda to Cambodia, sat on the killing fields, and somehow ended up on an on army bases overseas in Germany and did a side trip to Dachau. It was, I'm telling you, I was getting nosebleeds from crying to, for so hard. But you know what happened? There's always a silver lining, I guess, if you look for it. I walked out of the killing fields so upset with this, and I happened to notice this little teeny, teeny desk that was a little teeny portable bookstore. And on it was this book that has become my Bible. And it was called The Altruistic Personality by Samuel Oliner. Now, Samuel Oliner, this is parents sit up because it means we can make an enormous difference on how our kids turn out. What Samuel Oliner was, was a Holocaust survivor. His entire family was slaughtered in, in Auschwitz, but somehow he survived. He ran as fast as he could the moment the Nazis came, and he happened to come across this woman, a Christian woman named Lewinda, who said, Samuel, he was 12, run, run as fast as you can and I'll hide you. Well, she saved his life. And now what Samuel does, realizing all his rest of his family is gone, is what creates Lewinda's of the world. And he did the most Oh, Allison, the most amazing study I've ever come across. He decided to start after World War II was over, finding Christian rescuers and interview them. What made you be so social responsible and risk your life for perfect strangers? And every one of them came up with the same three things. Number one, it was how I was raised. I watched my mother or my father. They epitomized kindness. So it was modeled to them. Second, they all said get the good grades, but you were also to be kind. And the third thing was, we always had opportunities to do good. So we were supposed to do good. And as a result, what happened is we started to see ourselves as kind people and you had to do good. So there's the takeaway. Once I realized this thing is something we can cultivate in our children, it's, it's not hardwired. It's not soft and fluffy. Empathy is transformational. That's when I started to write on selfie. And it was it was the the opener that said, we haven't got enough to our credit as parents that said, you can do this. It's not locked into DNA. Our kids arrive hardwired to care, but we've got to intentionally cultivate it or empathy is going to lie dormant. And so, so it's such a good point that um, that we get this idea that empathy is this soft, fluffy thing. And you're really saying, no, yeah. this is a superpower. Um, and you, you also refer to the work in the book of um, um, Zimbardo, who has his heroic uh, project, same thing, which is this isn't for other people, this is in each and every one of us. So can you define empathy versus caring or compassion? Because we, you know, we interchange a lot of these terms. Well, I'm going to define empathy versus sympathy, because I think that's the biggest misnomer. Empathy is feeling with someone. Sympathy is feeling for someone. So if you feel with someone, 
What we now know is that's the beginning trajectory to get to what Philip Zimbardo is doing. I've worked with Philip on some of his hero projects. That's what we're wanting is the last step along the way to raise the morally courageous kid. It doesn't just feel empathy or understand empathy, but acts empathically. So it's really compassion in action. And that's what we're aiming for. And when we do it, everybody who says it's soft and fluffy, uh uh-uh. We know that it's the number one top employability factor, says the Harvard Business Review. I just came back from Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi, the Global Economic Summit, it was named number one at the top of the list. When we're looking at how do we raise kids who are really happy and healthy, they feel with another person. It's not about self-absorption. It's giving back, not getting. Teachers love it because they're kids in a classroom who are deeper learners. They're trying to understand where the other person's coming from. Schools also adore it because it's more, it's a kid who's more inclusive about equity. It's the best antidote to bullying and to uh, racism. That's how I started it. I was looking at kids with school shooters. How could we flip this around? And all over, every single time it was empathy. So it's not soft and fluffy. This thing is transformational. And so here we have quite a few parents who are still trapped in the paradigm that if I'm going to be a good parent, my kid is going to bring home a good report card. How how do we, (laughs) there still seems to be this disproportionate emphasis on success outcomes as being kids who are smart in our academic small box prescribed area of knowledge. And we really still need to burst that open. Oh, do we ever? I think the first thing we've got to do is realize it's not empathy or smarts. It's not an either or. We want both. We want a kid who's going to be smart in the real world, for heaven's sakes. We want a kid who's going to get the good grades. But what we've done is become so exclusive. So the moment the kid walks in, the first question we ask is what you get, as opposed to what kind of thing did you do? I mean, when's the last time you saw a bumper sticker in the back of a car that said proud parent of a kind kid. It's so dormant that we don't even realize how crucial it is. I've had parents come up and go, how do you expect me to have time to teach my kid to be kind when he's got so much homework? And I want to say, don't think of this as a program. This isn't a tutor. This is not difficult. You just put it on your parenting agenda that I'm going to help my kid become an empathetic individual. And I'm going to find dozens of simple ways to weave it in every single day. That's what we're going to do. Yeah, and if we look at, to your point, not either or, imagine if all you had was the academic kid with none of the empathy oh. character traits, we end up with the Unabomber. There's lots of smart exactly. people that, that can be very smart and yeah. then use it in not pro-social ways that harm humanity. That's exactly why Harvard says we're not looking for those kind of kids that just have the GPA. We want both. Because otherwise, that kid is not going to be the customer, to the client, to be able to be a team player. It's all going to be about me. And empathy is we, not me. So I think the first thing is, I'm so glad we talked about it. Because what I tried to do with Unselfie is say, hey, this is doable. It's easy. Every chapter is going to be one of the habits of empathy. But there's also going to be 300 ideas in there that are so simple, proven, evidence-based, and practical that don't cost a dime or require a PhD from a parent that you can just help your child from, you know, sandbox to prom. And that's what we want. A kid who walks out the door with heart and well in mind. 
So, so I have to talk about the, the book structure so parents understand the brilliance of what you've put out there to the world. Um, and ser- I'm quite serious. I mean, so because a lot of overwhelmed parents, uh, you know, they're like, I don't have time to read a book. Well, first of all, what I can tell you is yeah. the book is incredibly readable. It's, it's an enjoyable read. But the structure of the book, as you've broken it down into these habits, but it starts with a pithy inspirational quote that captures the whole idea. Then you've peppered it with research that is fascinating to read because it's got all kinds of real world examples. The stories that you tell from the families you've worked with or the classes that you've worked with, it, it, it just brings the learning to actual life. And then you do it by age development. Here's what this looks like with little kids. This is what it looks like with your middle ages. Here's your teenagers. And it's so it's spelt out with quick little mnemonics to help you remember. And, and then you got the nice little chapter summary for people like me who want to go back and say, wait, I'm going to, I know I need to read this three or four times, 10 times. I need to pull this off the shelf in the moment. And this great little summary note. And then, oh my God, you wrap it up with questions for people to start a book club so that they can, because we need parents to engage and get supported around this material. It's hard to think that you're the one parent who's going to go on this journey and have the kind kid when everybody else is getting A pluses and you're like freaked out that maybe you haven't made the best choice. You're, you're going against the, the, well, you're going counterculture, but it's like, you're the it's hard to be the same person in insane world. And and we know that the world's yeah. gone a little bit insane. Yeah. Well, I, first of all, I'm going to hire you as my new PR person. Okay. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> That's just an incredible way you just described it. <laughs> Thank you. I, but, but second of all, I think the other thing we do wrong as parents is try to do this all by ourselves. It's too lonely. Empathy is we. So find another like-minded parent. Join up together and do any idea in the book. But if you do it with either your parenting partner or your mother, your father, your aunt, your uncle, the, the lady down the street, your best friend, you'll always get a better response because kids learn this stuff by just not doing it once. Empathy needs to be exercised. So find one little strategy and keep doing it over and over and over again until it becomes a habit. And then you don't have to reinforce it anymore. Your kid has internalized it. And, and that's the piece about um, comparing it to, you know, no, it's yes, it's it's innate in us. We're wired to be social creatures. But until we do the exercise that you really talk about it, the metaphor of a muscle that we need to be exercising this. And um, one of the things that um, that I love is, again, how many references that you make, and these are, you know, things that people can look, I'm not going to put them all in my show notes, because it would go on for miles, but the book is packed with book titles and links and references for parents. And my grandmother was a children's librarian. And my childhood was filled with kids' storybooks and literature. And this is one of many, but a, a key one that you go back to um, in through the various chapters around the power of reading. And, I, and you make some important distinctions between, you know, actual classic good literature and kind of pulpy, you know, pop fiction and the difference between e-reading and movies versus TV. Like you get quite specific in what we know that research has shown works and what doesn't work. Can you say a little bit more about that? Oh, I'm so glad you brought it up because my passion is reading. And what I discovered when I was researching all of this is that moral imagination, 
stepping into the shoes of the character, whether it's on film or in a book, is one of the best ways to boost empathy. And we know that because Madison, Wisconsin, actually put us big people, adults, into MRIs. And then they'd watch our part of the brain, right behind the ears is where compassion is, right back here. What they did is that they would read different passages of different books, like Fifty Shades of Grey or a beach read versus To Kill a Mockingbird versus Charlotte's Web. And sorry, Fifty Shades of Grey, you flatlined. But when it came to... Any kind of like Charlotte's Web or Stone Fox or Wonder or any of Harry Potter, your part of your brain actually lit up. It's called literary fiction because we respond to those characters. And what that takeaway is, one of the best, most wonderful ways to just just relate with to your child is hold them when they're little and read as they get older don't stop reading out loud to your child do you know allison you're gonna die the average age we stop reading out loud to our our kids is age nine and the average age our kids stop reading for pleasure is age nine i think there's a correlation covid what are we going to do during covid greatest thing possible put a sheet over the top of your dining room table. Everybody get flashlights, put pillows under the table. It's a reading fort. And every day at the exact same time, find any book in Unselfie. There's over 500 of them. Find a book, find a book your kids love, read it out loud or everybody read all by yourself with the dog, with the cat and do it. It becomes a family tradition. You're helping your child's achievement, mind as well as heart. Yeah, and the it's interesting about the uh, the sharing the connection that happens when you share the same book, you know, that, that uh, I read to my kids for years, but then my kids loved it so much. It became our family tradition that um, my kids would read out loud to me while I was making dinner. Not, I mean, now they make dinner with me too, but I mean, they like reading out loud. They like to know that we're following the same story. And I love knowing the curiosity of what they're reading. So we still end up reading books together, if not synchronously reading them out loud to one another. We said, what are you reading now? What's good? And then we have conversations. I'm reading where the crawdaddies oh. sing right now about the swamp girl. Oh, I love um, that. I love oh, that book. So <laughs> great. So not only is it's it just so for the, the moral and the empathy and all those great qualities that develop in the child, but it's been this incredible conduit for conversations, yeah. uh, you know, that, yeah. that go on after it. Well, even when, you know, parents go, what do I do? I got a teen and he's in high school. Will you get a copy of the same book he's required to read at school and you read a copy, he reads a copy. You're not reading it out loud, but you're reading it together. Oh, the conversations. Did you read page 35 of what happened in To Kill a Mockingbird? Can you believe that? Oh, I'd have my kids' friends come over and go, God, your mom sure knows the stuff you're reading. And I'd talk to the friends too. It's such a wonderful, wonderful way to relate to your child. It's kind of a window into their world. But now the research says... It also helps build social processing, empathy levels. And it's a wonderful, wonderful way to help our kids step into another world. Please, above all else, it's a global, diverse world. We want we thinkers. We want our kids to be able to get out of their bubble and be comfortable with all different kinds of people. But we empathize with more like us, our gender, our race, our age, our income. Well, that isn't our kids' world. And one of the best ways to do it is help them read a a book about somebody who is different. I I just, I was, I love talking to kids and I've been doing Zoom focus groups with kids. And I asked the kids, you'll love these. These are middle school kids. 
everybody goes, they're hard to reach. No. What's the best book that every teacher should read? Oh, The Long Walk to Water. Why? Can you believe it's a true story about kids in Sudan? They don't have wells. They have to walk eight hours a day just to get water. Can you believe that? And I said, well, what did you learn about it? He said, precious kid. Well, I learned that we're smart. That kid and me, we're smart together. The only thing different about us, he doesn't have the same opportunities. Then another kid, another precious kid, a group of middle school kids. I said, what's the one book you wish your teachers would be reading out loud, distance learning or Zoom? You'll love this one. <laughs> um, it was Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. <laughs> I said, you're kidding me. I said, yeah, because we're all having terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. But Alexander figured it out. Middle school teacher overheard it. They put it on the required reading list. If that's what kids want, let's read it. You know, and to your point about the the um, X that, that it's developed and that kids learn learn to see inside another person's world and to feel those feelings, it's another good reason yeah. why kids should be reading these books because I think some of the parents when they read young adult literary fiction and they hear about what it's like to be a teen and your parents get divorced and you don't fit in at school I mean, because we yeah. there's a real disconnect in terms of parents developing empathy for what the youth world is because it is not the youth of our world we did not grow up with social media we did not grow up with and now it's going to be covid but, yeah. but you know we we also need to get inside their world and they can't always eloquently verbalize everything but if we pick up some of their fiction we start to understand what is it to be a 14 year old in 2020 it's it's very oh, different amen amen that is so right on the mark so when we look at it first of all what we're beginning to realize when i was writing on selfie is there's some incredible things that we can do that enrich our children's lives enrich our family relationships but also help them build empathy and certainly film is another one. We know that the kind of images our kids see, this is perfect for COVID. This is Jonathan Haidt and this is NYU. The kind of images our children view can either increase their empathy or diminish it. So be very, very careful right now. Those news feeds are just terrifying. If you turned on a news and if you were a kid and all you saw was a daily death count, how would you feel? Watching a George Floyd murder live in front of you, how would you feel? Watch it because our kids need hope right now. And as stress builds, one of the other things we've discovered is that as stress builds, you have to dial your empathy down. You're in survival mode. Well, if you keep doing that, it's burnout. And that's the other thing every adult is facing. We're burned out. So maybe as a group of adults, it's not just helping our kids learn empathy, but boosting it in ourselves because it makes us richer healthier and better parents. Just think about what used to enhance your own empathy. Some parents, it would go, oh, being with my girlfriend and we go have coffee together or watching, you know, international films in a film festival. Theater is another one. Or maybe it's just uh, for little kids, sandbox, play, getting out the doors, nature, hiking with another person. Maybe the question is what boosts your empathy and then find simple ways to do it as a family because it'll help keep that stress down and our kids have got to learn to cope. That's why chapter five in Unselfie is self-regulation. We've yes. got to help kids learn to cope or there goes the empathy. Yeah, so so interesting because I also was thinking about the parents who say, 
My problem is not getting my kid to feel more. I got a kid who's so sensitive. They're an empath and they're incredibly emotional. Is there a right amount of empathy? And what do we do with those sensitive kids? Are there people that have- Well, here's the thing that's really key to know. I call it the ABCs of empathy. There's three kinds of empathy because sometimes parents go, my kid doesn't have it because he doesn't cry when he's watching Bambi. That's okay. Some kids are affective in their empathy and you'll watch them come running in because their friend just got hurt Oh, and they want to do something about it because they're feeling with the other person. The C kind of empathy is cognitive. That's the kid who who is reading To Kill a Mockingbird and is now clearly understanding what Atticus Finch was telling Scout. They're trying to understand. Please tell your kid, you don't have to agree, but try to understand where your friend is coming from. Try to understand the other person's point of view. The, the, The other kind, A, B, C, the B is behavior. So if you see it or you feel it, you know something's wrong, are you going to step in and do something about it? Now, empathetic kids, the one you're talking about, do it. But very often what they do is they get so overwhelmed by it that you've got to give them permission to step back. You don't need to take on the world, sweetie pie. And one of the simplest ways we know with our first responders right now, they're just really in a burnout right now. So we tell them, get out of your affective mode. And every time you start to feel yourself getting overwhelmed, get to your cognitive mode. My, my other favorite example is Mother Teresa. I love this quote. She said, if I looked at the masses, the millions of kids who are starving, I would just quit. I would give up. I couldn't do it. So I don't. I look to one. And that's the other thing you tell your child. You don't try to control all the homeless. You can't help every kid who's bullied. Let's just go for one. Start with one. And that seems to be the way to help the child get the control and realize I can make a difference because you don't want to shut off that that wonderful sense of meaning and purpose. And I want to make a difference. That's chapter nine, how to raise the altruistic change maker. That's where we're aiming for. But along the way, there's some habits you've got to learn. Look at how much the world uh, just was so impressed with the Greta Thunberg when she spoke to the United mm-hmm. Nations and, and had a voice and captured the world with her passion and caring uh, about climate control and parents saying, oh, you know, what, wouldn't it be great if all of our kids had that? But learning to speak up and have a voice doesn't start at the UN. That again starts from years of finding that you have a voice. And you talk about class meetings and family meetings where kids can discover that yes, they're empowered and yes, someone listens and yes, they can have an impact. So say more about those. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think one of the things that we do that we, and we always do it because we love our children desperately. We just, we're, we're perfect in our parenting. We love them. But the first thing is we've already realized at age two, one of our biggest things we do wrong is speak for our kids. We don't give them the moment to have the voice speak up because we want the child to be able to do is learn that confidence to be able to hold their own when we're not there. We can't rescue the kid. What does that do with their sense of agency? One of the key little simple things you can do starting at age two in your house, make one rule. Always look at the color of the talker's eyes. Now, the reason for that, or, or you said the, the eyes, you said the eyes are intense. You said otherwise, the other location is the center of the yeah, nose, or the bridge of the kid's yeah. nose. Right here is fine, or even the forehead. Kids on the spectrum, they usually look down. I used to teach autistic children, so I'd put a dot behind 
the child over on the, you know, on the wall to help them look up. The reason for it is really simple. If you look down, which most of our middle school kids do, they're more comfortable texting than talking. They've been looking down. They're not looking at a person's face. Your whole body looks wimpy. You look vulnerable. You're actually far more likely to be bullied and less likely to be taken seriously. But if you hold your head up and say, always look at the color of your talker's eyes, it's not like you're telling the kid, use strong body language. They won't use it. You just always look at the color of the talker's eyes. Your head automatically holds up and your whole body looks stronger. Then you can start teaching kids all the other little things on how to defend yourself. There's Unselfie has dozens of tips, but number one is hold your head up, look strong. Number two is listen to my voice. If you really want to say no, then listen. It's got to be firm and strong. Don't whine and pout. Listen, no, no. Which one do you think your friend will listen to? Practice voice tone. Then along the way, as your kid gets a little older, practice giving them assertive comebacks. I don't want to. That's not cool. Nope, not going to do it. I don't care what it is, but practice it of the tone that your child feels comfortable doing. Stay cool and calm. In fact, it's C-A-L-M. C is anytime you're up against somebody who's trying to make you do something, I don't care if it's peer pressure, bullying, or they're picking on another kid, you got to stay cool because if you look upset, you whine or you pout, that other kid wins. Stay cool. A is assert yourself. Come up with a comeback line and practice it, practice it, practice it in the safety of your home. Then yeah, that, L, rehe- that rehearsal part. Yeah, rehearsing that rehearsal outside. part. Yeah. Yep. L is look the kid square in the eye and M is make your voice sound like you mean it. C-A-L-M. I do that with middle school kids and they say, that's the best thing anybody ever said to me because then now you're telling me what to do. So now you go practice it and find what works for you and keep doing it. You know, uh, I worked in a preschool eight in my room was 18 and a half, Aww. 18 months old to two and a half. And, and even just those pre-verbal Aww. kids, just some, some little slower to pick up language than others. But by the end of the year, those kids, at least they would learn. I don't like that. And that's not helpful perfect. <laughs> that's because perfect. that's not helpful. Those covers are- so much. <laughs> That's all you need the rest of your life. <laughs> you can do that when you're 40 in the business world. I don't like that. But we're not giving kids those, what are you, can, what can you say? The other thing about this that we, you know, fail to do is that there's also gateways to empathy that we fail to realize. And the, that's why chapter one in Unselfie is emotional literacy. You can't feel with another person unless you can turn and go, oh, she looks upset or he sounds frustrated or she looks the way she's standing really stressed. And the most fascinating piece of research as the mom of three boys, I discovered that already at age two, we talk emotions far more to our daughters at age two than we do to our two-year-old son, says Yale. So the simple little one on that one is just start talking emotions. In a minute, watch his face. Now you'll know whether it's a good time to ask for an allowance. But if you start doing those, Skype with grandma, Skype with grandma, FaceTime with grandma, but watch her face and listen to her voice, prime the kid. So you'll know when she's getting tired and you'll know when it's time to say goodbye. If you just give subtle little hints, what'll happen is they'll start tuning into emotions. That's the gateway to help your kids learn empathy. Yeah. And to your point, uh, and we need more shoring up for our boys who have, uh, you know, too often followed in that toxic masculinity that says, don't show your emotions, don't recognize your emotions, subvert your emotions. Certainly anyone that's associated with weakness 
um, you know, which is ridiculous. Kindness is not being anti-boy or anti-weak or any of those things. So we have a lot of work to do yep. in, in the gender world there. Um, but the other thing too, not just the family meetings and in the, in the class meetings where kids can come together and finally have a voice, but it's also about if you've really got a skilled teacher and if you've got a school board who will you know, support funding for getting training in some of these, but restorative justice has been a big part of what um, you've oh. been uh, bringing out to the world too. So can you say more about that? Yeah, I, I learned this in so many schools and a third grade teacher was mind-bogglingly helpful as well as Chicago inner city schools of high school. They said their kids were so often in conflicts out on the playground and they, the whole environment at the whole school was becoming more like exclusive as opposed to inclusive. That what they decided to do was realize that their kids were always in conflicts because they didn't know how to get along. They didn't know how to voice their opinions and hear where the other person was coming from. So once the teachers trained themselves into how do you help kids verbalize their what happened, the other person listens, and then the other person shares their idea, what they did is they had the kids do it in big circles in the classroom. Then they also had the rest of the kids all around give ideas. Well, have you tried this? Or here's another idea you could do. What they discovered is that within a very short amount of time, behavior problems went down. Kids started showing up more. The, the, the whole inclusiveness came in. There's a wonderful story about third grade class in San Diego uh, and how that teacher did it. She swears it completely changed the entire dynamics of the classroom. But I think we need to do that at home. We need to teach our kids in safe places because empathy builds in a trusting environment where there's inclusion, there's equity. But if we build that at home, our kids are more likely to transfer that out. So now they can do it with their friends and then later on out on the playgrounds. That's what we want, kids who can hold their own. And and to put the focus on, if we all put our heads together, there is a way that we can solve a problem just becomes a completely different operational framework from there's a kid who's a problem and he needs to go get fixed or changed or punished or all these other ways that we would have historically looked at this. And the, the results and the research that supports this as an approach, it, it's just, it's, irrefutable that this is the way we need to go about it. And uh, well, the other thing oh, I'm, I'm, you're, I'm nodding up and down and up and down and up and down because the research, I'm just going to dovetail with you that we can start doing this with two and three year olds. We wait until they're 15, 16, 17 and 18. Sit down. What's the problem? In fact, little ones, I, I, one of my favorite chapters is all on problem solving with little ones. You do a pocket problem solver. You just take your hand out. Thumb can put your thumb up, name the problem. Now name um, pointer, middleman, and ringman, three things you could have done differently. Of all those things, which is the best one you want to choose, that's ringman. Now go and do it, Pinky says. Big kids, that doesn't work with a middle school, high school kid. (laughs) So you teach them stand, S-T-A-N-D. In fact, you can teach the S for little kids, and that could be your parenting agenda for the rest of your life. S is anytime there's a problem, the first thing you got to do is stop and calm down because you can't think when you're out of control. Walk away, calm down, take a deep breath. T is tell yourself or tell the person what's bugging you. Don't badmouth the person. Just say, here's what's bugging me. Tell the problem. A is ask what else you can do instead. 
brainstorm. Parents don't give the solutions. Instead, ask the kids, well, what's the problem? What's one thing you could have done differently? What's another thing? Keep a poker face. Some of their ideas and solutions are off the wall, but okay, which one? Now you narrow it. That's N. Narrow your choices to what's safe, wise, or responsible, and then D is decide on one and do it. If you're with a friend, then shake hands and go on. So it's S-T-A-N-D. Stop. Calm down. T, tell the problem. A, ask what else you can do instead. N is narrow your choices and D is do it. What a great way if we could just teach kids, because what we do know is children who have agency are far less stressed. They feel like they have control. And, And that piece of agency in uncertain times that we're feeling right now. Yep. And when we look at the yep. the spiking numbers and anxiety, I don't think that's a coincidence. There's so much content in the book. Like I said, it's so well laid out for going back to and referring. So to your point, you don't have to get overwhelmed with the amount of information there because you can just pick one thing. You've got all the actionable how-to-dos. And when you got that one nailed, pick the next one. As And as your kid gets older, move through the book age appropriately for each of the groups and and give it as a teacher's gift. (laughs) If you're thinking for that, what's the good school gift to give a teacher? Because it's as great, uh, it's as needed as home and then reinforced at school, home and school together. And if you think about if this generation from kindergarten on had this curriculum and this at school and they had this sort of parenting at home, Think of what that looks like when we have the next round of 18-year-olds that have lived with this their whole lives. That's how we change the world. And it's, it's, uh, I thank you for the amount of uh, 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 hope that you've given, hope and inspiration, but the pragmatic how to do it piece and the, the, the research to show why it's worth the time and effort to actually do it is, is astounding. It's a wonderful contribution. Thank you. Do I do? Because and I and no sooner are we celebrating this book, but you've got another one on the horizon. So can we? I hear a little, just a a little, you know, teaser, and I will have you back when it hits the shelves and people can get it. But tell us a little bit about Thrivers, the surprising reason why some kids struggle and others shine. I started out as a special education teacher way, way, way back. And I began to see that a commonality, despite some kids having real struggles and learning disabilities or emotional behavior problems or troubled home life, some of them were bouncing back and thriving. So I started to look at the research on resilience and I realized we've got it all wrong. We think resilience is something that you're born with. Uh Uh-uh. It's not part of DNA. We think sometimes it's one program. Oh, let's get a resilience program. Or we think it's one trait, like just bouncing back. What I began to look at, just this incredible bulk of research on Emmy Werner, uh, Norm Gomerensky, Michael Rutter, uh, Ann Madsen. These are some of the best psychologists in the world who have been studying the same kids for 30, 40, 50 years. They've been tracking kids who had mentally ill parents, uh, substance abuse at home, domestic abuse. Oh, uh, uh, we're talking horrific stuff that's happened to some of these kids. And halfway into the study, they realized for some reason, some of these kids are making it. Why the heck are they making it? So they kept, kept, kept studying them. And that's what I want to get out to parents is that there's seven traits. They're all teachable. There's not a window 
there's any moment we ourselves as adults can still bounce back. We need mental strength, emotional strength, forget the physical strength. It's the mental, emotional, and moral strength. And if we create that with our kids and give them those skills, that's what Thriver is. It's teachable, simple stuff. And boy, I'm telling you, today's children, if it wasn't a mass shooting, it was a fire, it was some kind of a pandemic, a COVID, who knows what they're going to be prepared for. You cannot bubble wrap kid. You have got to raise them so they can handle life on their own someday. And that's what I'm trying to do with thrivers. Raise a kid who can survive. These are the same traits, by the way. If you teach these traits, they're the most highly correlated traits to not only job employability, academic success, mental well-being success, and resilience. So it's not either or. Teach those seven traits, and that's what we're going to have, kids who can thrive the rest of their lives. Oh, all right, I'm okay. Well, I'm. We have to wait till March, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's, I, I've got the final edit on my bed. I've got to go. Oh, <laughs> I, 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 oh I'm time, so excited. It's it set up exactly the same way as on selfie. The response to one selfie was so huge. So. I visited schools all over the world. Uh, some of my favorite ones were in Beirut. There's another one in Karabakh that just went through war. And the things that some of those teachers are doing are just profound, but they're creating perfect, protective buffers for kids so they can bounce back. By the way, the kids who need it the most right now are affluent. We're seeing the most dismal raw demise in uh, mental health and depression in that group. So it's across zip codes. Every child needs these same seven traits, and you are so fun to talk to. Oh, my goodness. Well, listen, t- I, well, I hope we have an opportunity just to grab coffee and chat if we can ever find time in our schedules between now and March. But I promise to have you back in March, and I will put all the links to your uh, social media handles and to your website and to the book and anything that we've talked about. Um, and I thank you so much for sharing so much with me today to my listeners uh, and, and to the world in your uh, very influential and important book. And I can't wait to chat with you again. Thank you, Allison. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast, so thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.